from newstalkzb.co.nz. It's the Mike Hosking Breakfast with BNZ. G'day there and welcome to the rewrap for Monday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking Breakfast on Newstalk ZB and a sillier package, I and Glenn ZB. And uh, this morning we've got uh, some things to say about uh, political numbers, Phil Twyford. And then we're really going to take a deep dive into, uh, into Mike's time after London, basically, post-London. And tourism here and a little bit of my time last week when I wasn't here too uh, but let's first dive into the News Hub poll and see what Mike makes of all of that So to this poll, 45, 42 5 and 2, there are your numbers National 45, Labour 42 The Greens 5 and New Zealand First 2 The reason New Zealand First are 2 this is the News Hub poll out of last night The reason New Zealand First are 2 is because they're killing oil in the Taranaki and they've got caught up with the Labour Party and the Green Party and that, and they're not a party who believes in that sort of nonsense. And then they threw a billion dollars in aid at the Pacific, which is not what New Zealand First voters wanted or ever voted for or thought they were going to get. As far as Prime Ministers are concerned, and here's the interesting one, Jacinda 40, Simon 9, Winston 4, crushes in there at 3. The fact crushes there is your next poll and the poll after that and the poll after that, and here's how it's going to unfold. Once crushes in... The people who support Crusher will go, gee, that's good to see her. She'll go from three to five to eight. Then the story becomes when she crosses Simon at nine. Simon's then in trouble. That's when the rumours start. That's when the numbers start getting counted. That's when you got to spill. Remember where you heard it first. does sound quite fun, doesn't it, voting uh, for Crusher for PM? Uh, And that would make a fun international story as well. I think people would like looking at New Zealand and saying, oh, look, Crusher. They've got a PM called Crusher. They're always doing something new and crazy, those New Zealanders, aren't they? Um, and, you know, given the way Phil Twyford's going, he's not doing Labour any favours, so Crusher could be there sooner than you think. What Treasury was saying, of course, is true. Twyford's numbers have had the look of snake oil about them all along. 100,000 houses magicked up over 10 years using the same small pot of money over and over. The affordable figure that isn't remotely affordable and a figure that's going up, making it even less affordable. Are the government buying stakes in houses, using money they were going to build with because they've worked out no one's got the coin to buy them by themselves in the first place? No real acknowledgement that the construction sector's already overburdened before Phil's houses even get started, against a backdrop of a promise of a 30,000 cut in immigration. It's been smoke and mirrors from day one. A classic piece of political puffery dreamt up in an election campaign to fool the economically naive into thinking governments can manipulate things as large as housing markets. With money they don't have and labour they don't have at prices they pulled out of a cornflakes packet. The Commerce Commission should be looking at it for fraud. And the trouble with it all, apart from the fundamentals, is the political bit. Policies need to be sold. Now you can't fault Phil for enthusiasm, he's enthusiastic, but you can fault him for fact and approach an attitude, and it's the attitude, the phone calls, the insults, the tellings off by the leader that make a virtually impossible job even harder because he's coming across as a knob. And the government can't afford its biggest bit of work to be run or ruined by the sort of bloke who's fast becoming or making himself the most disagreeable man in politics. Yes, it's a good point. It's a good point. Mike makes the air. It's hard to take knobs seriously in any form. (laughs) Right, let's talk about... Uh, it's sort of a, a Mike Hosking breakfast travel omnibus next. 
Uh, we're going to start with the airport. As usual, Mike, unimpressed on his return. If we are to invite millions to come to this country, if we are to market ourselves worldwide as a tourist mecca, we really must start getting our act together, and that starts the minute you hit the airfield. Auckland Airport is an embarrassment. It has been an embarrassment for years. It appears to have been under construction come refurbishment for years now. It is slow. It is understaffed. It is under-resourced. It is a hopelessly amateurish way to arrive in this country. Our plane, and this has happened to me now several times, didn't get a gate. So we got to walk down the stairs, sort of like they did in the 1940s. The captain asked, rhetorically, as it turned out, given it's the airport authority, he said, given it's the airport authority that allocates the gates and therefore the buses when there are no gates, why the buses weren't there waiting for us, he could not surmise. But you could hear the disdain in his voice. And it's against this backdrop that the airlines who use the facility have grown increasingly tired of the service they get. Remembering, of course, A, the airlines think they're getting ripped off and there isn't enough oversight of a monopoly that can charge what it likes and provide crap service for it. And B, even the Commerce Commission are worried about the amount of profit the airport is making. So not a lot of happy campers. But back to yesterday morning. We waited for our bags for over an hour. After about 40 minutes, they made an announcement as to what was wrong. Something wasn't working. I thought it was the entire airport myself, but they'd isolated it down to something more specific. Either way, there was a singular announcement, as opposed to the many that a good provider of any level of service would have offered. The irony is that both LAX and Heathrow, surely two of the most famously chaotic airports on earth, put Auckland to shame these days with their services and efficiency. I mean, Terminal 2 in London is a pleasure to be at these days. Even mad old LAX gets you through an orderly time, but good old Auckland... Not a fraction as busy as either of those places, has no gates, no ability to toss a few bags your way in under 60 minutes, and then you wind your way through the never-ending building site that is customs, customs and immigration with its swinging lights and wires and exposed rafters, banging your trolley into the scaffolding. No wonder the airlines are over it. The airport should be paying them. And it wouldn't be hard for the Commerce Commission to find out where the money goes because it's not going into services. And if I had anything to do with the place, I would be ashamed of myself. 14 billion dollars is what tourism is worth to this country 14 billion and rising 3.6 million people and rising they're part of the tourism story and yet the front door to it all is an aviational version of a long drop which is weird because i was went through that very same airport uh just a few hours earlier uh i spent the week in uh last week and, uh, yeah, so I arrived about 7pm Saturday night, and it took me about 15 minutes to get through from... Admittedly, the baggage carousel was stationary and not going round and round like it's supposed to, but my bag was on it, so I just grabbed it and went through, and it was all good. Maybe they knew he was coming. Uh, he'd been in Paris, of course. We had a couple of days off, and Katie came up with the idea we'd go to Paris, because I'd never been to Paris before. She loves Paris. Paris is a great place. I said, really, uh, we can leave after the last show in London, and we can land in Los Angeles on on Tuesday. And on Tuesday night, Paul Simon's playing the Hollywood Bowl. On Wednesday night, he's playing the Hollywood Bowl. He will not be back to the Hollywood Bowl because he's on his retirement tour. Who doesn't want to go see Paul Simon twice at the Hollywood Bowl? Is that the Hollywood Bowl in Paris? The Hollywood Bowl in um, Los Angeles. Ah. And so she said, no. Nah. And so... Um, <laughs> That's how my life operates, under the uh, the whip and the thumb. And so off to Paris we went. Now, here, here's, here's my thing in life. 
I went to Paris. Everyone goes, oh, you went to Paris with a closed mind. That's not true. I was more than happy to enjoy Paris. If Paris had turned out to be brilliant, I would have come back and gone, gee, better than I thought. Fantastic. Um, But I've got to a stage in my life where I think I've seen enough and done enough to broadly understand what to expect, what not to expect. And the reason I've never been to Paris is my broad understanding of how French people think and operate my broad understanding that uh, Paris is a, is a dangerous place these days, Europe in general is a dangerous place these days, and it's not necessarily on your bucket list. I'd rather go see Paul Simon. So into Paris we go, and it was everything I expected it to be, full of French people. And they don't like you, they don't speak English, they're not interested in speaking English, they're not interested in being helpful, and it was beautiful. We stayed in a beautiful part of Paris at one of the most beautiful hotels in the world I've ever stayed at. And so that part of it was fabulous. We look out our window, we saw the Eiffel Tower. All of that's magnificent. I would mark Paris architecturally better than London. And London's my favourite place in the world. But I tell you what, Paris is dark these days. It is dark and it's ugly. And it's, it is weighed down with the spectre of terror. And you cannot go into a shop without being wandered. There's a security guard at every door. Everyone looks at you twice. Everyone's suspicious. No one wants to help you. It's a place that is not light of foot, and I, I do not see it getting any better, and therefore I, I could not have been happier to be on the Eurostar back to London where the sun was shining, people were happy, the economy's booming, and life is great. And so Paris, I would rate probably a 7 or 8 out of 10, only because of the hotel, only because of the service in the hotel, and we ate at a couple of nice places. But apart from that, uh, I, I see no reason to return ever in my lifetime. Uh, and all I can hope what is... What if Paul Simon that's plays a concert there? All I can hope is that Paul revisits his retirement plans and maybe I get to hear Homeward Bound one more time. But I'm not holding out any hope. Crikey, if he was complaining about the welcome home at Auckland Airport, I don't think it's going to be particularly pleasant when he gets home to his house today after that. Uh, now, I'm extending the podcast... I don't know if this has ever happened before. I mean, it's happened, but just sort of accidentally, not officially. I'm officially extending it because this is normally when we finished it, but we've still got stuff to talk about. We've got holiday stuff to talk about. It's important. So, you know, I'm a big supporter of tourism in this country, and I don't think we've got enough tourists and we can have more. And yes, there are pressure points and infrastructural issues and all of that sort of thing, but it's a massive income earner for this country, and the more the better. Uh, What I didn't realise is just how lucky we are. When people text me, write to me, and go, we're overwhelmed with tourists, what a pile of crap. Because here's your best example. The most overpopulated in terms of tourism country in the world is Croatia. Now, they got about 4 million people, roughly the same as us, a little bit less, but, but roughly the same as us. Now, with our 4 to 5 million people, we welcome 3.5 million people in, forms, in the form of tourists. So 4.5 to 3.5, right? Croatia's got 4 million people. They welcome 57 million. 57 million. Uh, Iceland, for example, has only got 300,000 people. They've got 2 million people coming into their country. Hungary have got 9 million people. They've got 52 million people coming to the country. 66 million people live in France. And 202 million people go to France every year. So to think we're overpopulated in terms of tourism, we don't have the slightest idea. Give yourself an uppercut. The, the real uh, statistic you need in that, though, to factor into that equation is internet access. Why? Well, because I've just been in Atataki, mm-hmm. and I can assure you that the Wi-Fi allowances were non-existent. If you're in Atataki, they were relaxing. Let's put can, it that can, way. can I say? Can I say that if you, if, if you're in Atataki, you shouldn't be online because well, that is one of the most beautiful places in the world. That and is you, correct. All if, if all you can do is sit online on 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 Tinder or whatever it is you're up to these days. 
Well, given that I was there with the domestic manager, I think that would have been a strategic error for it me would have to been. be on Tinder. Here's the, here's the stat that well, Where's my... all our internet usage gone? Well, let me explain. <laughs> here's the stat that blew my mind, the French number. 202,930,000 people a year go to France. And in next year's statistics, I'm going to be one of those people. And I, for the life of me, can't work out why. Um, do you know what? As, as frustrating as the lack of internet access was in the Pacific Islands, in the Cook Islands, um, when I got home and reconnected myself into the internet again, I thought, oh, I wish I was back there. I am Glenn ZB. And not, not you guys. Not you guys, of course. Love you guys. I'm Glenn ZB. Uh, that was the rewrap. The back. Uh, for Monday. I will see you back here again with another one tomorrow. I don't know if I'll be extending it tomorrow. I'm exhausted now after that. Yeah.